Warning, this episode contains brain food that will lead to improved emotional and social intelligence. Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen is fresh, optimistic, and purpose-driven media that promotes well-being from the inside out. Each week, Lisa spotlights diverse trendsetters and change agents who are the greatest contemporary thinkers and doers, devoting their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen, is a widely recognized applied positive psychology expert, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in optimal lifestyle management. Let's get to it. Here's Lisa. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to today's show where you will learn about positive business, building thriving workplaces with a culture of joy. My first guest is doing just that, and he is Rich Sheridan. I am really interested in human happiness, as everybody knows. You know, I've been doing this show for more than nine years. And many years ago, I had the great fortune to go to the University of Michigan at Ann Arbor and interview Dr. Chris Peterson. Christopher Peterson was one of the grandfathers of positive psychology. He has a, had a very illustrious career in helping others identify their strengths and best practices to generate a more joyful and happy set point in one's life. But then life comes full circle. And I had the great pleasure of meeting Richard Sheridan. He came to the show, as many do, through a publisher. Richard Sheridan is the CEO, co-founder, and chief storyteller of Menlo Innovations, which has won the When Work Works Award for 11 straight years and five revenue recognitions from Inc. Magazine. Menlo and Rich have been featured on the cover of Inc., Entrepreneur, Forbes, and New York Magazines. He is an author. He speaks around the world, but he's written a new book called Chief Joy Officer, How Great Leaders Elevate Human Energy and Eliminate Fear. And I can't wait to bring Rich on to help me connect the dots about why this is such a happy and fortuitous connection. Rich, thanks for joining me on the show again. Wonderful to be with you again, Lisa. Let's talk about Michigan Ross, the business school at the University of Michigan and a conference that has been going on for a few years called the Positive Business Conference. Yeah, it's a uh, delightful uh, gathering of people. I once by metaphor likened it to an oasis in the middle of a business desert where the water flowing is the water of positivity and human energy. And fear is the the heat to be avoided uh, in this conference. <laughs> and I'm so delighted to know you're going to be here to witness uh, this unusual gathering of business people. I am looking forward to it. Not only am I going to be there, but Harvesting Happiness is going to be broadcasting joy with you at Michigan Ross and at Menlo Innovations. Yes, and delighted this is all working out the way you and I had thought it might. I think this is emblematic of what you have written about and what you have done with your business, that when you plant the seeds of something positive and you nurture it and you kind of have a culture that is inclusive, what we can make. 
No, no question. I think you and I are going to be right in the heart of a place probably that we're very comfortable with. Uh, and that's in a heart of abundance uh, that uh, I think what brought us together was abundance level thinking. What brings this conference together is abundance level thinking. And I think what comes out of our discussions with all of those fine speakers that we get to interview those couple of days will just be a gift to the world. And a gift to ourselves. I mean, I am super excited. I got to interview Gretchen Spritzer, who is, you know, in this episode with you. She is delivering the keynote at the Positive Business Conference, which essentially is about improving well-being and performance by building a thriving workplace. And that is most definitely your wheelhouse is the thriving workplace. Yeah, we've been speaking about joy for a considerable amount of time now. And a lot of people wonder where that comes from. And I point to our team of people that build and design software for a living. And I rhetorically ask them, I'll pretend half the team has joy and the other half doesn't. Which half do you want working on your project? And invariably, people want the joyful half of my team. So they get that there's tangible business value to joy. And what's interesting about Menlo Innovations and the work that you do, the widget is something else, right? The widget is the software. Yep. But the culture is the means. Yes, the culture uh, is the means. Yep. And that scales to any business, really. Of course. There's very little about the widget that is, you know, is imperative for the cultural norms that we've chosen to pursue. The cultural norms we've chosen to pursue are the ones that I believe most businesses actually want to pursue. uh, And most people who go to work for those businesses want their employers to pursue Perhaps we've just been in this blessed place where we actually got to pursue them and did so relentlessly. Well, what is it about you, your personality, your values that you took to work? Because when you started the company decades ago, um, certainly happiness was not a workplace goal. You know, it's funny. I'm probably benefiting now from a lot of hindsight. Uh, we'll be we'll be 18 years old this year, and you start to reflect on the past 18 years. And I will say that I'm in this delightful place where, kind of, no matter what happens from this point forward, we have achieved the joy that I wanted to achieve in my own career. And a lot of people ask us where this came from. Where did this idea of how we built Menlo, the the kind of the why behind us, and how we came up with all the unusual practices that we do here. And I tell them that it was born out of pain (laughs) and um, in a long amount of pain, at least a dozen years of working in a career where, you know, a career I thought would carry me for a lifetime. I mean, the software industry has been a burgeoning career ever since I, uh, you know, kind of cut my teeth at the University of Michigan and launched a career back in 1982. This is the industry that has just been growing by leaps and bounds. And why wouldn't that just be naturally joyful? And yet it wasn't for me. And I had to self-reflect. I had to think, what was it that I was missing? And Because uh, I was getting all the worldly rewards. I was getting the stock options and the pay and the title increases and the bigger authority and bigger office and all that sort of thing. Uh, but by midpoint of my career, I, I didn't even want to be in the industry anymore. I was literally contemplating a... a a dramatic exit to a canoe camp in the Boundary Waters of Minnesota. That's how far away from technology I wanted to get. And so what was what was wrong? You know, I had to really reflect on that. And what was wrong was I wasn't actually 
doing, as Deming would say, having a chance to work with pride. You know, I wanted to go to work and actually create meaningful outcomes. I, I wanted to delight the people I intended to serve with the work that I did with my heart, with my hands, with my mind. And I was being denied that regularly. The software industry is one that works in often death march kind of cultures where we work, you know, I think the word 24-7, that term actually came out of the software industry. And, you know, when people say software, people work 24-7, that's not like three shifts. That's often the same people. <laughs> and, you know, and then the legends of, uh, you know, Mountain Dew and pizza boxes and all that sort of thing is also legendary. And yet so are budget misses and, and quality issues galore. And so all of these things were adding up for me and saying, you know what, there is no fulfillment in my life for what I'm doing at work. And I thought, I want something fundamentally different. I want to produce joy in the world. This isn't about just joyfulness and happiness within Menlo, which I think we have as well. But I wanted this purpose-driven joy, this outward mindset, as the Arbinger Institute talks about, this idea that when we look out, we know we're going to delight the people we intend to serve. And I think this, for you know, for my engineering brethren, this is an important concept. And I've given this talk, that talk like this around the world. And I can tell you, it connects wherever I go in the world, that what engineers want more than anything else to see their work delivered with high quality and in a way that people say, I love this thing you created. And I wanted that as much as possible. And I wasn't getting it. And that was really the birthplace of Menlo and how we decided to craft it the way we did. And when you talk about um, the typical corporate culture, right? In essence, the employee or the the team member is supposed to be two separate people, right? There's the, 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 the work life, the home life that stays at home. And then there's the person that shows up to the office. And <laughs> this is probably one of the most insidious aspects of modern work life is that we're yeah. expected to be one person at work and a different person at home. And what you are championing is that, that the authentic self is the one that shows up. That, that there's congruency. Everybody on the planet today wants creativity, imagination, invention, innovation. I mean, that's what every company is talking about. That's what we believe now is the is the price of entry into the modern business world. And, and if we're going to get those things, we have to be at work our most human selves. And the part of us that makes us the most human is actually the part that gets shut down when we're in fear mode, when we're in fight or flight mode, we, we turn off that. We go into reptile brain mode. Now we're just talking about surviving. We're not talking about thriving at all. We're talking about making it through a day. You're not going to get the things you want at work. You know, not management, not leadership, not ownership, not shareholders. Nobody's going to get what they want if we're operating every day in fear. Yeah. And so we had to figure out how do we get fear out of the room? And the answer is drum roll. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there, there is no one answer. This is hard work. There's no question. You know, people see us and they're, they're intrigued. You know, when they come and visit, we get between three and 4,000 visitors a year come from all over the world just to see how we do what we do. And there's no secret magic answer here. You know, there's some principles that I think are pretty obvious. There's going to be trust and there's going to be relationship and there's going to be teamwork. But those things are hard, you know, especially when you've all come up through 
the the conditioning of the modern workplace. And yeah, you know, let's take the the most obvious and bad example of the the opposite of what we're talking about today. The the typical forced ranking system of uh, hopefully of yesteryear, but I'm guessing there's still a few that do it. You know, let's rank our employees from top to bottom and cut the lowest ten percent every year. Yeah, but you know, the interesting thing about thriving employees when we have a culture that is positive and employees get to flourish in their workplace. They become more satisfied with their jobs. They perform at a higher level. Their health is better. So they're less sick days, right? They, mm-hmm. they give back more to the communities. They're better partners. They're better parents. And I would say all around better people. Yeah. And I think this is where our friends at the Ross uh, Center for Positive Organizations have done some remarkable research over the last 30 years or so, where they, they had this premise. It's, it's an ac- a normal academic premise, which is let's study deviant behavior. But instead of doing what m- normal academics often do, where they study negative deviant behavior and figure out what's wrong and how do we fix it, and what, to, what interventions could we do to, to make things better, they looked out at the other end of the spectrum. They looked out at what I call a blue ocean of culture mm. spectrum, which is Let's study the positive companies. Let's study the companies with thriving cultures. And instead of figuring out how to fix the broken ones, let's figure out how to replicate the good ones. That's what this conference is going to be about. And it's what it's about every year. And it's just amazing. And how many years has the conference been going on? It's been several, I know. Yeah, I'm not sure how long the history is, uh, how long it's been going. But boy, uh, I would say probably at least 10 years. Yeah. What's interesting about Ross and my understanding of it being one of the world's leading business schools is that it offers their academic degree programs in several formats. You know, if we talk about creating a a thriving culture, that just the way it's offering its programming to to a global audience or a global student body, it is adapted to the times Instead of saying, no, 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 you can only just do this on campus at this time, their their enrollment is open so you can join at any time. That's pretty interesting and revolutionary in academia. Well, I think when you start latching on to really important concepts and you want to change the world the way they do, uh, you start figuring out that not everybody can come live in Ann Arbor, Michigan for a few years and and set their lives aside and and, and go to school. And so they've offered a number of different programs. I just was with somebody last week who's part of the executive MBA program in Los Angeles uh, for the Ross Business School. And their whole focus is, you know, the academics are being done out in Los Angeles. Let's take a break. And when we come back, we will return to the conversation with Rich Sheridan, CEO and co-founder and chief storyteller of Menlo Innovations. The book we're talking about today is Chief Joy Officer, How Great Leaders Elevate Human Energy and Eliminate Fear, as well as the upcoming Positive Business Conference at the Ross School of Business at the University of Michigan. To learn more about Rich and his work, please visit MenloInnovations.com slash Joy Inc. And on Twitter, you can find him at Menlo Prez with a Z. Here comes the break. We'll be right back. Hey, listen up, y'all. Before we take the break, I want to take a moment to appreciate today's sponsor, Audible. Time is a precious commodity, and taking the time to listen more is an absolute gift. Listening to audiobooks inspires us, motivates us, helps us to learn and grow, and can even bring us closer to each other. 
and there's no better place to listen than Audible. Right now, I'm listening to recent show guest Aaron Dignan's Brave New Work, a book about collective intelligence and revolutionizing the way companies work. I enjoy listening while I cook, work out, and even fold the laundry. Audible has the largest and most diverse selection of audiobooks on the planet. And now, Audible members get more benefits than ever before. Each month, they get three titles of their choice, one audiobook, two Audible Originals, fitness programs, and exclusive sales that they can't get anywhere else. Members can download and access their selection on a variety of digital devices to listen and enjoy on demand and on the go. There's never been a better time to experience Audible. Try it yourself free for 30 days by visiting audible.com slash hh or text the code HH to 500-500 and listen for a change. Once again, you get to enjoy a complimentary 30-day trial at audible.com slash HH, or text that code HH to 500-500 and listen. Let's head to the break. We'll be right back. That's a promise. To learn more about cultivating sustainable well-being at home and the office, visit harvestinghappiness.com and explore Lisa's experiential on-site brain fitness workshops, corporate programming, and speaking engagement services. Welcome back to the show. If you're just joining us now, I urge you to download and share this episode. Why? Because sharing is caring. It's kind, free, legal, available 24-7. And we're talking about positive business and positive leadership, building a thriving workplace through a culture of joy. Returning to the conversation with my guest and hero, Rich Sheridan. We're talking with Chief Joy Officer Rich Sheridan, who is the CEO, co-founder, and Chief Storyteller of Menlo Innovations. He is also going to be my co-host for an upcoming series that we are doing on the road. We will be broadcasting Joy from the University of Michigan, Ross School of Business, and Menlo Innovations in the coming couple of months. And Rich and I are going to get to hang out in person and interview all of his best friends. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) I can't wait. I I can't wait. I am so excited. I think that the program that we are putting together will give light and joy to leaders around the world who are looking for tools and resources to make their companies and their company cultures more happy, more joyful and, and flourish. Yeah, more positive, you know, the the idea that we can focus on, you know, turning our attention towards optimism, towards positivity. What are the practices we could put in place to actually make a difference in our organizations, uh, both for the people who work there and for the results the companies produce? Yeah, this is not a zero sum game as uh, some might uh, think it is. No, no. Well, I think this is the secret sauce. You know, the the happiness and the joy factor, although happiness is kind of a, an annoying word for, for some of us, but it's really serious business. Yeah. Look, people have often asked me, is joy the same as happiness? And I tell them no, but 
it would be silly for us to think we could get to joy without also being a, uh, having a happiness component. We just can't be happy every minute of every day. That would probably require medication. And so for us, uh, we, we take that longer arc view of, you know, how are we going to get through all the hard work that we have to do and the difficult conversations and the, the, the positive and constructive conflict that we have to get through to produce good results. You know, we have to take care of each other at the same time. We do have to take care of each other. And I think that is something that we don't often think of, that we are our brother's keeper. Many of us say, well, listen, it's not my, his problem is not my business, but it is. We need to take care. Well, yeah, very few business problems these days can be done by individual heroes. And so we need teams of people working together. And as Patrick Lencioni's opening lines in his, you know, wonderful book, Five Dysfunctions of a Team says, it's not finance, it's not technology, it's not strategy, it is teamwork alone that is the ultimate competitive advantage, both because it's so powerful and so rare. Let's talk a little bit about Menlo Innovations and some of the Quirky, I, I call it quirky in a good way, fun things that you've done there to not have life and business remain the status quo. And, you know, to talk about that, that's not how we do things here. Yeah, we are in an industry, as I said before, that often works a ton of overtime and we don't do that here. We basically work 40 hour work weeks, never weekends, never deny or delay vacation requests. And when you go on vacation, we, through peer pressure, not through any you know actual means other than just reminding you, don't check email while you're on vacation. It's a vacation. And if we catch you, we're going to uh, make fun of you when you come back <laughs> <laughs> at our next daily stand-up meeting. And the idea is that we want you to rejuvenate. We, we want the best possible version of you in the office. And our fundamental belief is tired people make bad software. We don't want to make bad software, so we're not going to have tired people. Yeah. And that is incredibly unusual. I, you know, the fact that we can say 18 years in that we've worked 40 hour work weeks and still met the deadlines, still hit the budgets of our customers along the way, which is, you know, remarkable in terms of the systems, the process and the practices that we use here. But ultimately what it produces, and this is the part that I love about what's happened here in the last 18 years, is the last time our team remembers a software emergency, which is what my life used to be filled with. I used to run in firefighting costumes from one fire to the next to the next. The last time this team remembers a true software emergency is 2004, wow. which is just remarkable to me that I can even say that. That's pretty amazing. Talk about your desk, if you don't <laughs> mind, because this puts a smile on my face as I'm even thinking about it. <laughs> well, we all sit out in a big open room together. We are in one of those, you know, uh, those open office environments that everybody claims doesn't work. And there's actually strong research that would suggest they are problematic. And I get that. Uh, but we didn't build an open and collaborative office. What we built was an open and collaborative culture. Our office space is a reflection of our deepest held cultural beliefs around trust and relationship and communication and teamwork. And so I sit out in the room with everybody else. I'm at the same five foot kind of aluminum table. It's folding aluminum table can be moved easily. And right now, and I sit where the team puts me, I, I don't have a fixed location. There's no gifted C-suite for me. I'm out in the room with everybody else sitting shoulder to shoulder with the team. 
and the team moves my table around it, that they're women whimsy. Uh, and the last few times they've moved me very close to the front door. I, I don't think it's an indication that they want to push me out the door. <laughs> they have often say, well, Rich, you know, most of the people coming to visit are coming to see you. You know, uh, yeah, they want to meet the author and that sort of thing. So we're going to put you in the receptionist position. And uh, and I even answer the phone here, which surprises a lot of people. I, I love it when somebody will call and they'll say, who am I speaking to? I say, Rich. And they're like. Rich Sheridan, <laughs> like CEO, like, yeah, you're like, you answer the phone. Like, why not? It rang. I answered it. You know, I'm not <laughs> the only one who answers the phone here, but, uh, but if it's ringing, it might be a customer. It might be somebody who wants to come and visit. And of course I'm going to answer it too. And you know, I love that you are the, uh, the resident greeter when you, when, when you're in, when you're not traveling the world, delivering keynotes. If it's not me, it's one of the dogs. That's right. You have, you have a take, take <laughs> your, your dog to work plan there, right? People can freely yep. t- bring their animals. And didn't you say that you have uh, a nursery, that, that that there are some babies that can come and hang out? Not a nursery, but lots of babies. We have a standing benefit that we've had in place for a dozen years now. And that is when you have a child, you can bring them to work. And we've had 23, I believe is the count, Menlo babies in the last 12 years. Uh, so we're on a pretty good two a year pace and virtually all of them have come in nearly all day, every day for several months at a time. But they, the baby is with the parent. This is not a daycare. This is not a nursery. We have the option if you choose. Uh, we, we don't mandate it yet, although I'd actually like to see that. Uh, you don't have to bring your baby to work, but uh, it is such a delight having them here that uh, it, it adds to the happiness. It adds to the joy of the space. And it, it also embraces the humanity of our team. Right. I think this thing about be one person at home and different person at work goes all the way to the point of. Pretend you don't have any outside responsibilities. Pretend you don't have a family. Pretend you don't have a life outside of work. You know, that that for some, I think, is the model of the perfect employee. And our view is, no, of course not. Yeah. You know, we're building this company to embrace your whole life uh, from one end to the other if we can. And so parents choose to bring their children to work with them. And a lot of people have asked us, you know, doesn't that affect the productivity of the parent? And my question is, compared to what? Yeah. Compared to worrying, you know, where your child is, if your child's at daycare, what's going on there, or just well, being separated. The daycare and, you know, you got to rush over because your kid threw up or something like that. You know, there's a reason we have concrete floors here at Menlo. <laughs> <laughs> for dogs and babies. <laughs> yep. And oh, by the way, we have a wonderful, yes, for dogs and babies. Absolutely. And we have a wonderful setup for nursing moms as well. We do have a uh, terrific setup for them. And it's these small little adjustments that cost the company nothing. It it costs you nothing to have this as as a policy. And the upside, the return on that generosity of spirit is tremendous. Yeah, there's no question that uh, it gets us a lot of attention. People want to come see us. We have visitors now who walk in our front door and they're like, are there any babies here today? (laughs) And we can't mandate them, of course, because eventually they do go off to daycare, uh, usually at about seven or eight months old. 
And uh, but that's, again, the parents choice as to when they stop bringing them in. There's no policy around this or anything like that. We, in fact, we've never had a policy around the baby's component of Menlo. It's just a understanding uh, that it's something you have an option to do. We've had moms and dads do it. The dads typically don't bring them in every day. But George and his wife are about to have a baby about a month from now. And George's plan is he's bringing the baby in. I don't know if it'll be every day, but uh, we will see George's baby quite frequently here. Oh, well, I hope that George's baby is there when, when I'm there. I'd like to ha- hold that baby, have a little <laughs> baby fix, you know? Well, yes. Oh, believe me, we, we actually have sign-up sheets uh, <laughs> gets to hold the baby when they're, you know, I mean, obviously there are things that only the parent can take care of and, or quite frankly, most of the team would say, no, you take care of that. There, there are those aspects yeah. of being, but when it's just hey, hold me, uh, you know, I want some human contact, that sort of thing. The team is happy to hold the baby. In fact, uh, there have been many tours here where because of my deep voice, and my warm hands, the parents will see me leading a tour and they'll hand me the baby and say, hey, Rich, it's time for a nap. Why don't you hold the baby? And the baby will literally fall asleep in my arms while I'm conducting a tour. Ah, you're a baby whisperer. We can add that to your credentials. (laughs) (laughs) What about servant leadership? I mean, this is an often not spoken of aspect of the way some people choose to lead that is absolutely beautiful. Yeah, I think for me, if you're not serving, you're not leading. I think it's just as simple as that. You know, and and Simon Sinek has written some great books on this subject as well. And I think it'll be probably his life focus to talk about servant leadership. And uh, I certainly uh, have seen the positive impact of teaching leaders when you become a leader here, your job is to be teacher. Your job is to be, uh, as improv theater would say, the least important person on the stage of mentally. Your job is to help everyone around you succeed. And so in some ways for us, when you hit that level of leadership, we take the opposite approach that this is not how we do things here. Uh, it's not about title. It's not about authority. You don't get granted some big office with the window on the side and all that sort of thing. Your job is to be teacher. Your job is to be supportive of others around you that, in fact, your very presence within a team somehow makes that whole team succeed faster, succeed better. And it's not even clear exactly what it is you're doing in order to make that happen. But the team recognizes that, you know, we just like having this person around us. We're better when they're here. You know, and I think of Dr. Chris Peterson's work at the University of Michigan. This is going back many years. He has since passed, but he talked about his research and the value of service to our own personal happiness. You know, that that sense of the helper's high that comes from rolling up our sleeves and actually doing something good for someone else simply because we can. Yeah. I mean, the fact matter is that this is where I talk about when I talk about the purpose driven organization, which we're absolutely that here. I tell people that our focus is to serve others, that we look outside ourselves and look past even the obvious stakeholders of customers, employees and stakeholders, you know, shareholders or investors. What we want to do is look past that group and say, who do we serve and what would delight look like for them? You know, a lot of people get confused by that line of thinking because they think that, you know, there's some who think the purpose of a corporation is to, you know, maximize shareholder value or, you know, or serve our employees, serve our customers. And and my 
point is, of course, you have to serve them, but that's still self-serving. Yeah. If we look past that inside of organizations, you get to this deep purpose-driven kind of culture. And, and I think humans are fundamentally wired to serve others. And we're fundamentally wired to work in community with one another. I think these are the things that make us the most human. And if we can tie those things together, work as a team to serve others, you will get people you know, constantly wanting to do the best job they can possibly do. And of course, then that will end up serving those more obvious stakeholders. If you like what you've listened to today, join Rich Sheridan and myself when we create this really unique collaborative podcast series with the University of Michigan's Ross School of Business, Menlo Innovations, and Harvesting Happiness at the upcoming Positive Business Conference in May. Rich, we have to dash, but I want to give your contact information. I encourage everybody to pick up this book, Chief Joy Officer, How Great Leaders Elevate Human Energy and Eliminate Fear. To learn more about Rich and his work at Menlo Innovations, please visit www.menloinnovations.com slash joy, Inc. And you can connect with Rich on Twitter at Menlo Prez with a Z. Rich, thanks for hanging out as always. <laughs> Thanks, Lisa. Here comes the break. We'll be right back. Did you know that happiness is actually good for your health? Happy people live longer, are more productive, and make better partners, parents, and professionals. Connect with us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and follow Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen for a daily dose of inspiration. Thanks for tuning in to Harvesting Happiness. We're continuing the conversation about positive business and leadership, building thriving workplaces with a culture of joy. My next guest is Dr. Gretchen Spritzer. She is the Alessi Professor of Business Administration, Professor of Management and Organizations, and Interim Chair of Management and Organizations. And Gretchen, I'm going to bring you on because I want you to give a plug for the Center for Positive Organizations, because that's what we're really talking about. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be part of this uh, conversation on harvesting happiness. I've been affiliated with our Center for Positive Organizations for many years here at the Ross School of Business. Our aim is to do the science that supports why positive organizations should be the norm in the world of business or in the world more generally, in the world of work. And as we move into the new world of work where people are working in a lot of different settings and so forth, understanding that science is really, really important. And then we try to take it the next step to think about the applications of that. So we create tools and cases. We offer different kind of programs to take these ideas, the science, out to the world and to our, our students near and far. I want to mention that you are the author of several books and scholarly articles, including A Company of Leaders, Five Disciplines for Unleashing the Power in Your Workforce, How to Be a Positive Leader, Small Actions, Big Impact. And one of your more recent articles that interests me is Alternative Work Arrangements, Two Images 
of the new world of work. And that's just a sort of sampling of your authorship. Gretchen is going to be a keynote at the upcoming Positive Business Conference at Michigan Ross, which is at the University of Michigan at Ann Arbor. This is a conference that takes place every May in 2019 this year. It's happening on May 9th and 10th. So Gretchen, I wanted to talk a little bit about thriving at work and why this is so important to the welfare of our employees and workforces, but also the health of the organization. You have got it, Lisa. It is such an important issue. What we are seeing today in business organizations around the world is people really suffering. Organizations that are failing to be places that bring out the best in people and develop their full potential. And we believe that that needs to be an important role of business. We know it's it's crucial for their longevity, for their sustained performance over time. We know it's really important for their health and well-being. We know it's really important for innovation and creativity. And this topic really started for me gosh, more than 10 years ago when I myself was trying to juggle being a academic with a full plate of things I was really passionate about, as well as being a mother and a daughter and a wife and a community member. And I really felt like I was at risk of of burnout, despite the fact that I loved the work that I was doing. And so that began this this journey for me on the science of, of thriving at work and what we can do as individuals to enhance our own thriving, but also what can organizations and leaders do to create the kind of work settings that are going to increase the likelihood that their people will be thriving. I love that you talk about it from the perspective of your own experience, that it's not just from what the academic research says, that there's some disconnect. There's really a sort of a living, breathing example of here you are, a professional person juggling things that we all juggle. And how do we balance everything and why does it matter? Yeah. And we know there's a lot of spillover between our different aspects of life. So if we're really languishing in one aspect of life, we, we can't just assume it's it's going to be self-contained within that uh, part of our lives. And so if things are really, if we're really troubled at work, we know people take that at home, you know, take that home with them at the end of the day and they don't have good energy for, you know, having a, a good personal life and, you know, raising their kids well or being a active member of the community. So we need to we need to do better. And then vice versa, if people are struggling at home and the work is all encompassing and people can't make the time to be fully present at home at the end of the workday on the weekends with vacations and so forth, then we know that's going to have uh, ramifications also for their long-term ability to be effective in those different realms. You know, when we talk about happiness, thriving, flourishing, being our best and most productive versions of ourselves, I don't necessarily think that we can compartmentalize and parse ourselves into separate little sections, right? We, we have to be sort of integrated with this. We, we know that people are better when they can be truly authentic and bring the different parts of their selves to each aspect of their life. We know that's that's true from research. I also want to say one of the findings I found most potent in my work around thriving at work is I was really worried that if people were thriving at work, 
and it prevented them from thriving in other aspects of life, that my work would be contributing to the problem. And so one of the questions I was most interested in is there a positive spillover of thriving into other aspects of life, or is it neutral or is it negative? And I was really pleased to find out that there is positive spillover. When people report, and let me also say that I should say how I'm defining thriving, because you also use the word happiness. And and I think happiness is a cousin concept. It's definitely related, but it's not the same thing. When we talk about thriving at work, what we mean by that is when people have the joint experience of feeling like they're growing, developing, getting better at the same time that they feel really energized by their work. And it's important that both of those two pieces are present. If you have a lot of energy or vitality is often the academic term that we use, but you're not growing, that is not thriving. And simultaneously, if you're growing and developing, learning a bunch of things, but you're really burned out, you don't have good energy, that's also not thriving. So thriving is when an individual is having high energy at the same time that they're growing, learning, making progress. I like that you thought about is thriving at work, could it have a negative spillover? In other words, if we're so fulfilled by what we're doing in our day lives, does it perhaps compromise the need or desire to feel that way in other areas of our lives? And what you're saying is the research says no. The research suggests there's a positive spillover that that thriving at work, there's probably an upper limit, right? But I think especially around that energy piece, if work is something for you that creates energy rather than just depletes energy, most of the, I'll tell you, most of the research that is out there about energy recovery at work has focused on how people use their evenings, their weekends, and their vacations to recover their energy so that on Monday morning, they can get back to the workplace and make it through the week. The assumption is that work is something highly depleting and we need our personal life to get us back on track. I myself, again, being a working mom, member of a community, uh, active family member, I don't have my evenings and weekends as recovery time where I can put my feet up, you know, and, you know, just relax. My my weekends are just as busy as my weekdays. So I was very interested in how we could change the perspective of work through the kind of practices and the cultures that we have so that work actually creates or at least sustains energy so that when I leave the office at the end of the workday, I'm not going home and the best I can do is sit in front of the TV and watch Netflix for the night. I have to still be on, (laughs) you know, when I get home. And so to think about how we create work days so that people are able to pace themselves so that by the end of the workday, they still have good energy for the other parts of their life. We're going to take a break in a minute. But before we do, I want to talk about some of the ways that we can create balance in our days at work in order to sustain our energy levels when we leave the office and go to our family lives and continue with the other aspects of our thriving lives. I'd love to share with you the three most important levers that we found for being able to do that, for being able to create energy in the doing of the work. And what are they? Well, the, f- the first one is about maintaining your physiological 
energy. So we talk about that in terms of the kind of nutrition that we have at work. So if we're eating sugary things, we're going to have a big burst of energy and then it's going to fall off. We talk about hydration. We talk about movement. The research suggests that you need to move about every 90 minutes. If you're drinking a lot of water, that's probably going to I mean, you are going to be moving at least every 90 minutes, at least to use the restroom. And we also talk about the importance of sleep, because if you're coming sleep deprived at the beginning of the day, you're definitely going to be dragging and it's going to be very hard to keep that energy going through the through the rest of the day. So one set of those practices are around the physiological, what people can do to set the stage for high energy. And then the other two are more about how you do your work. So one is about looking for opportunities to create meaningful work. And we have a practice we call job crafting, which allows people to make changes around the edges of the work that they do to bring more meaning, to play more to their strengths at work. And then the third practice is about finding relationships in the workplace that create energy don't just use up energy. And after the break, I can tell you a little bit more about that piece as well. Wonderful. We are going to jump off for a minute to learn more about the work of Gretchen Spritzer. Please go to Michigan Ross or University of Michigan. You can put in her name, Gretchen Spritzer, and that's S-P-R-E-I-T-Z-R. The conference that we're talking about is the Positive Business Conference. You can also connect with Michigan Ross at Michigan Ross on Twitter. Here comes the break. We'll be right back. And that's a promise. Who says money can't buy happiness? Whether you are a skeptic or seeker, check out Lisa's new book. Are we happy yet? Eight keys to unlocking a joyful life. A boot camp manual for greater emotional fitness is available at Barnes and Noble, Amazon, IndieBound and HarvestingHappiness.com. Here's a truth bomb. Emotions are contagious. And happiness is a universally desired state. But we tend to forget that we all have the freedom to be happy or the liberty to be miserable each day, regardless of external circumstances. Explore the journey of human happiness, how to find it and keep it, with Lisa's documentary film, H-Factor. Where is your heart? Visit HarvestingHappiness.com to learn more. talking about positive business and leadership with my guest today, Gretchen Spritzer. Gretchen Spritzer is the Alessi Professor of Business Administration at Ross School of Business at the University of Michigan. She's also going to be the keynote at the upcoming Positive Business Conference in early May of 2019. Yours truly will be there because we're going to be broadcasting Harvesting Happiness from the campus. I had to give that plug, Gretchen. (laughs) Thank you. So let's go back to the conversation. You were talking about the three levers and you gave us two levers, two of the levers to maintaining thriving at work. One is physiological care. Second is how we work. And the third? 
The third is about the kind of relationships that we develop at work. So we know that that there are some relationships we can't control that with difficult people. But what we can do is control what we do outside of those difficult relationships. So I like to think about how can I design my workday so that if I know I am going to have some difficult interactions, whether they be with customers or coworkers, or maybe the difficult person is my boss, that I also create opportunities to be interacting with people that give me energy. And so I might look for projects that I can work on with those people. On a particularly difficult day, I might schedule a lunch with a person that I feel is really energizing or coffee. And so it's kind of that trying to balance out difficult with energizing relationships so that I'm always making sure that I'm fortifying myself with the kind of relationships that I have at work. And when we're talking about a positive culture in the workplace, ideally, this would be coming from the top down. But sometimes that's not possible. Well, unfortunately, that's true. And part of our conference is about what can leaders do to create organizations with more positive cultures. But the reason that in my research, I'm also interested in these individual levers is I hate to send the message to somebody that if they're in a, you know, a not very positive organization, that their only route is to leave. I do believe that individuals can make small changes around the edges of their work, around their units that can start moving their organization in a more positive direction, whether they're in a position of leadership or whether they're a frontline worker. Well, In essence, we all have the opportunity to be leaders, even if we are not particularly in a titled leadership position. But I know I'm thinking of of somebody who may be doing administrative functions within an organization who is not the so-called leader. But the way we do our work, if we do it with pride, if we do it with a, a leadership and accountability, isn't that part of what positive business is? That is absolutely it. What we do with our students here at the Ross School of Business is we help them think about their identity as change agents in any system that they're part of, whether it's a work situation or some Thing involved with volunteer work or some other aspect of their life, but the idea that they can be proactive crafters of their environment. And sometimes that might not mean I'm changing what I'm doing at work, but I'm changing how I'm doing it at work. So we could have the, the same meeting and one meeting covers the meeting in a very contentious way. Another meeting where you start with a practice of people sharing good news, or you end the meeting with some moments of gratitude. You're still covering the same content of that meeting on a difficult topic or whatever, but you're doing these other things around the edges to try to make the experience more beneficial to the people that are part of it. So absolutely, we as individuals can be proactive change agents for making small changes around the edge, whether we're in a leadership position or were, you know, an individual contributor in that environment. What I hear you saying is bringing humanity into the workplace. I love that word. And isn't it sad that we have to think about that? Bringing yeah. humanity. After all, we are all human beings. And part of that humanity is treating each other like human beings. And what I mean by that is even the simplest 
making eye contact, you know, checking in with somebody, how's your day going, having a quick elevator conversation where you're recognizing that that other person is, you know, having a day too, and that that day might be good and that day might be bad. It might mean checking in with my colleagues if I know somebody's kid, you know, was at the emergency room the night before or whether their dog got lost or whether they're really nervous about a presentation they're making. The fact that I'm going to follow up with them the next day and say, hey, how did that work out? That means a lot. That's just that simple act that takes, what, 20 seconds can show that kind of humanity in the workplace. It's a culture of connection, of authenticity, of caring, of presence, of heart. And that leads to joy. That's absolutely true. Another word, humanity and joy and love words we often don't connect with the workplace. But when we do, it can elevate the organization in a whole new way. And that's really what this conference is about. Different angles on how do how do real organizations do this? And sometimes people are nervous. They're like, well, maybe, you know, that is trying to expect too much out of people. Or maybe what do we do if we're bringing joy and love to the workplace and then we have to do a downsizing? You know, uh, maybe it's better just to keep things on a professional superficial basis because, then we don't have to worry as much when we have to do hard things. But the idea that we take the lead or lead our companies with this ethos of joy and connection, I think is what makes the new world of work flow a little bit better. And let's talk about that. Let me just sit back up and say for a minute that when we think about the new world of work, I think about it along three different kind of dimensions. One dimension is the kind of work contracts that people have. You know, we're moving from a system where 20 years ago, the goal was, you know, lifetime employment with full benefits and a pension. You know, now we see people, more and more people who have temporary contracts, who maybe work through an agency, or they might be freelancer or independent workers. And, you know, just a few years ago, if you were an independent worker, it was because you were between jobs. Now we're seeing people choose to be independent workers because they like the flexibility that it offers. So when we use the new world of work, we think about flexibility in contracts. We think about flexibility in the way work gets scheduled. We're kind of not necessarily in the nine to five kind of, you know, shift work maybe that we've seen in the past. And then the third element is about flexibility and where work gets done. And it's not always in an office and it's not always in a factory floor. So when I talk about those three dimensions, you can see that those three things give people a lot more flexibility in how, where, and when they do their work. And if you think about some of the things we were talking about earlier with regard to thriving and self-care and well-being, if people have more control over their work and when and how they do it, it also gives them more control over how they make space for those other things in their life, which we know are important over time for them to have sustained thriving. And I can talk about this from a first person perspective. I am a new world worker. Our team at Harvesting Happiness are made up of, a, of virtuals, right? We're, we're all over the world. And I know from conversations with our team, and we've been together for many years, that we are more apt to perform well If we get to go walk our dog between appointments or go take a yoga class 
or cook our kids a meal for lunch or dinner and do our work when we see fit. And as long as we're making our deadlines and as long as we're showing up for our meetings, nobody really cares. Right. And part of that is maybe you're doing this phone call, but it's 7 a.m. your time because that's the time that it worked, even though that isn't like, you know, maybe the official part of the workday. But, you know, you're doing things when they need to get done. But then it also gives you the freedom to do the things that are important to you when they need to get done, too. Agreed. I mean, for for us, we don't have a, a conventional nine to five. And that's okay. That's by choice. I've learned that in order for me to thrive, I need to work outside that conventional box. Yeah. And think about that. So the mode of the past was you grind it out for eight or nine or 10 hours, and then you go home and you're completely depleted. You know, your feet are up in front of the TV for the rest of the night. But if you think about pacing your day, sequencing your day so that it's in pieces with breaks and other things intermittent throughout the day, the same amount of work is getting done, but in a much much more energizing fashion. And it seems like that's what you have created, Lisa, whether intentional or not. And I think that's the beauty of this new world of work. You know, it has some challenges for sure, right? But that's one of the big advantages is that it gives people more autonomy and control over their time and schedule and the place that they're working. We are nearly out of time. I want to give a plug to the conference, the Positive Business Conference at Michigan Ross will be held May 9th and 10th of 2019. It happens every year in the first week or two of May. To learn more about the work of Gretchen Spritzer, please go to Michigan Ross or University of Michigan. And the spelling of Spritzer is S-P-R-E-I-T-Z-E-R. And there is a tremendous lineup of incredible speakers for the Positive Business Conference. And I invite our listeners to attend if you're running a business. I believe there are videos made of the presentations that will be available online afterward. We're talking about improving well-being and performance by building a thriving workplace. Gretchen, thanks for joining us on the show. Lisa, it was definitely my pleasure. Have a great day. Thanks. You too. Here comes the break. We'll be right back. Thanks for joining us today on Harvesting Happiness. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and my guest today, Rich Sheridan and Dr. Gretchen Spritzer, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Go out and rock your day. Keep harvesting your own happiness anytime and anywhere from the comfort of wherever you are. Subscribe, listen, and share hundreds of downloadable episodes via our free app or from our libraries at toginet.com, iTunes, Google Play, and other fine podcast platforms. To learn more about Lisa's global consulting services, please visit harvestinghappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen. Harvesting Happiness is produced in collaboration with Toginet Radio, KBUU and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange.